So here's the thing. A couple of good quotes to help us. The ads, the advertisements. Advertisements today, they turn our hearts to the goods that we don't know we need. That if we just buy certain products, we're going to have more comfort, more status, more success, more happiness, more sex, if those people just purchase their, their wares. In the past, we skipped over ads unless we were compelled to read by some of want that we have. But now we read and we go through Pinterest to find out what we really want. The world is teaching us what we should want and to be teaching us to be uh, discontented with what we have. In consumerism, personal fulfillment of desire is the highest good. In consumerism, desire is never illegitimate, only unmet. Desire, what do you desire? What do you find yourself desiring in life? And, and, um, and when you have unmet desires, what do we do with it? And Christianity teaches us very deeply how to deal with these desires. It talks about self-control and contentment and peace. And yet I'm afraid too much, um, too much of Christianity has just become another brand. And here's, here's what I mean. If Chris, is, is Christianity just another brand that you've bought and that you're consuming? And when it stops working for you, are you going to go to another product and find another product? Um, is, uh, is Christianity for you um, just another way of trying to find your, to, uh, a way to fulfill your desires? And, and this, is, this gets so tricky, and this is why I want to teach us all about this. Because Christianity isn't a brand. It isn't a thing that you do to just, you keep on having your, your desires over control you and your desires take you over and you slap a, you know, a fish bumper sticker in the back of your car and that's it. Christianity is, is, is a worldview, a whole way of living. Um, it's taking the cares, the riches and pleasures of life and knowing how like Jesus uh, to be self-sacrificial and giving so the bottom line is this. There are people out there spending millions and trillions of dollars trying to teach you what you should desire and, and shaping a whole way of life in us that is consumer-oriented, product-oriented. And if something fails us, we just move on to the next product. That's the world we live in. And we have to understand that if we're going to be disciples in this day and age. So we'll, we'll keep talking about this over the next coming weeks. But, but here's the thing. Uh, Jesus' way, Jesus' way is not a consumeristic way. It is a way of serving and sacrifice and self-giving. And when, and when it seems to fail us, we look deeper into the heart of God to understand what his plans and purposes are. So today, we're going to get into a teaching of Jesus that, that gets to this. Um, and the context is this. Jesus, Jesus spent a lot of time in his life traveling if you don't know this, you can read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. He spent a lot of time traveling from one place to another, teaching people about how to live their life, how to um, do life well. And uh, he, um, at the end of his life, near the end of his life, he uh, has said so many things that have, that have gotten him in so much trouble with the authorities, with the political and religious authorities, that for him to go to Jerusalem to go to the capital city of Israel, which was overrun by Roman soldiers and Roman officials, was a very dangerous thing. 
for him to go to the heart of this place, his disciples knew that we, there's no way we can go out, go in there without getting hurt. And so there's at this place in his life. And so before he goes into Jerusalem, uh, three of the Gospels tell us, Matthew, Mark, and John tell us that Jesus goes out to the wilderness beyond the river. A bunch of people follow him, and he does some teaching there. Uh, the crowds came to him, and he begins teaching about divorce. They want to know about marriage and divorce, how, what, what his views are on that. So he gives his teaching. Uh, he has a bunch of little kids come up to him, and uh, his disciples want to turn them away because they're so concerned and upset about how this is all, gonna, this is all shaping up. There's a bunch of kids wanting to come to him, and they're all upset and, and uh, unsure about the future. And then Jesus is like, no, let the little children come to me. And then um, this guy comes to him and says, I've done all the commandments. I've fulfilled all of them. Uh, what should I do to follow you? And he says, that's great. You've done all the commandments. Now sell everything you own and give it to the poor and come and follow me. And, the, and this person wrapped up in his possessions wasn't able to do that and um, walked away sad. Uh, and Jesus began kind of talking about how, how hard discipleship is, how sacrificial it is, how self you have to, 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 get, to take your desires and almost um, replace them with Jesus' desires for you. All these desires of the wants and needs and things that we need met in our life, these desires, give them to God and replace them with, with um, self-sacrificial living. And his disciples are like, but we've done that. We've given up home and, and family and we've all come to you. Uh, and Jesus says, yes, and in the kingdom you will receive new family and new treasures uh, that, are, that are not earthly treasures. And so they, were, they, they left the place in the wilderness and they were on the road coming up to Jerusalem on their way. This is, right, we have nine more weeks to walk with Jesus in this way. Nine more weeks to follow him up to Jerusalem before we get to Easter. And they're walking up to Jerusalem, getting ready to go. And Jesus was like a step ahead of them, it says in the Greek. Jesus was a step ahead of them, and they were all afraid of what could, could come about. And so here, this is the teaching for today. He took the 12 aside again and began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he'll rise again. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And isn't this us? Isn't this our mentality so much as we come to Jesus? Jesus, we want you to do whatever we, we, we want. Do, do whatever we want for us. We've got, we've got all these requests, all these desires. Would you just fulfill every single one of them? And Jesus is like, I, I love this. Instead of sort of, he probably knows where they're going. And, and it's, a, it's a strange question. Did you hear what I just said? I'm going up to, to Jerusalem to be killed and flogged and rejected. And here they come up, it's almost as if they didn't even hear what he just said. Would, would you do something for us, anything that we ask you? And Jesus is like, can you imagine? Jesus is like, okay, what, what is it? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Okay, they get the point. Jesus is a king. Jesus is going to be a ruler of the whole, of the whole world. That, they've got the point by now. But can you imagine what that might have, that, like the temptations might have been for the disciples? I mean, we know this, how the story ends. Jesus is just predicting it. 
But I mean, think about it. If you are the right-hand or left-hand person for a king, you've got all of your, I mean, you're going to feast for the rest of your life. You've got all the safety you can ever want. The clothes that you're going to wear are going to be the finest clothes in any normal kingdom. If, If you have a seat at the right hand and left hand, all of your desires, every single one of them that you could ever have, are going to be met. Can you imagine what's in their mind? In your glory, they're not talking about a heavenly glory. They don't understand yet. They want, they want power. They want privilege. They want the cares, the riches, and the pleasures of life at their disposal. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink? Or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Jesus says, if, if, you understand, if you were to understand anything about my way, about being my follower, and what it involves, and the suffering it involves, would you be really able to do it? Can you do this? And this is where we begin to see, and I'm going to unpack this in the next five or six weeks here. We begin to see that baptism, getting dunked under water and being brought back up, baptism for Jesus is far more than a ritual. When he thought about his own suffering and own rejection and own unmet desires and all that he was disappointed with and hurt about in this life, he thought of it as his baptism. So baptism is something much deeper than a ritual. Baptism is a way of suffering in Jesus. And you can see the early Christians understood this after he died and rose. He understood the, they understood the, prof, the profound nature of following Jesus. And this is what he's asking. Can you follow me? If you, want to, if you want to be my disciples and want to, to make this world new, can you be baptized with the suffering I'm with? And they replied, I guess. Well, what are you talking about? Sure, I guess we can do that. And Jesus said, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or to sit at my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Jesus is like, if you're going to follow me, you will suffer. You will follow me into the hard, harsh places of life. And if you try to join me in pressing back the forces of evil in this world, if that's your mission too, as I'm calling you into it, as, as it is, uh, you, you will drink this, this cup. You will be baptized. And we know, this is, remember, who is asking? The two brothers are asking. James and John are asking this for this privilege in life. And James probably four or five years later after this, is going to be killed by King Herod, one of the Herods. It's an ex. He's the only disciple that we know in the New Testament gets killed. He gets beheaded by a a sword for following Jesus. So Jesus is right. Jesus is like, you're going to suffer like I'm going to suffer. And it it also said, this is in Acts 12, says that, that this happened at the festival of unleavened bread, Passover. Jesus got killed and passed over. Four years later at Passover, James, who's asking this to Jesus, is going to be beheaded for, his, for following Jesus for his faith. And John, we don't really know. Tradition tells us that John, James's brother, tradition tells us that he gets exiled to an island called Patmos and is the last surviving disciple and writes the Revelation. The book of Revelation has these visions. Um, so these guys are going to suffer um, can, can, can you suffer with me, Jesus says? Yes, we can, and eventually they do. Um, but to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And Jesus, I think Jesus' point here is this, like, 
um, you don't understand the, what it means to be close to me. You don't understand what it's going to mean in your life to follow me. And then when the ten, <laughs> the ten heard that these other two were looking, were, were posturing for power with Jesus, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, you know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize others as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be a slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be, not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life for a ransom for many." So, so here's, the, here's the, the, the first main point of Jesus's, the hardest edge of Jesus's teaching. Do you guys want to be great? Do you want to have the greatest house? Do you want to have the greatest food, the greatest tasting food on the block? Do you want to have the greatest clothes? Do you want to have, do you want to be the greatest parent? Do you want to be the greatest spouse? Do you want to be the greatest of all of these things? Um, you have to be a servant of all, which, which is to say, um, yeah, sometimes in this life of discipleship, we hear these things and they become kind of vague and, and fuzzy, but we have to bring them straight back to what we want to be the greatest at. And I think sometimes the reason why we struggle so much with discipleship, being disciples, is because there's all of these other things that we try to be the greatest at and have the greatest of. We want the greatest of, of many things. And they choke us. They just choke out discipleship from us. What, what are we invested in? What are you investing your time in in your life? Uh, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be a good parent. Be a good parent. But sometimes we take it to that next level where we need to be the greatest parent. And then we forget all of the other serving and all of the other um, the praying and all of the other things that, that God calls us to. Do you, do you want the greatest food? You're a great foodie. You just want the greatest food around. I mean, uh, the, the way our world would have it is if, you have a, if you're great friends and you've got great food, what else do you need? That's, that's, that's the world we live in right now. Um, and... Um, Jesus is asking us, Jesus is challenging us in our life um, to ask the question, what do we want to have the greatest of? And think of ourselves less of the lords of this world and more of the servants. Now, uh, this, is where I, this is where my point at the beginning I think is so important. I mean, this is a hard, hard edge of Jesus' teaching. Um, the, point is, the point is this, is... Um, you're not meant to go home and to think like you're supposed to feel guilty for all the responsibilities that you have. You, you need to have clothes. You need to have a family. You need to have peace in your home. All these things you need to have. That's no question. But when it comes to asking the question, why sometimes do, am I, do I seem so overstretched, so thin in my time? Why do I, why do I feel, seem like I can barely hold it all together? And I think sometimes if we're honest with ourselves, we start recognizing, oh, there are things that I'm investing in, in my time and energy, and I'm more of a, a consumer than a disciple. 
I'm, I, there are things, there are ways that I'm investing my time and energy in wanting to build the best, sturdiest loft in the world for my children. I mean, that thing's beautiful, people. It's a beautiful loft. Uh, it took me two months. What else should I have been doing in those two months? Um, if we, yeah, I've got to bring the pictures, don't I? I'll bring pictures next time. Uh, but we, ha- we have to continue to ask ourselves, if I feel choked, if my life feels like I'm choking in it, what is it, what am I investing in? And what am I going overboard with instead of, instead of just sort of um, enjoying what I have? Um, and this, this comes down to all sorts of projects that we do and all sorts of recipes that we want to make. Sometimes it's okay to, to have something be good and not great. And the challenge, the challenge is this, how do we separate, and this is different for everyone, how do we separate our natural good desires to have a, a good life with the spaces that we're just basically becoming a consumer and getting choked out? And if you don't know, if you, if you can't sort of, if, um, if you if, if a hard time locating this for you in your life, um, make a line between the discontentments. What are you, what are you constantly discontented in? Is there a, relation, a particular relationship? Is it a particular thing that you just constantly want but don't have? Is it, a, is it a bank account issue? Is it a money thing? What is it that constantly makes you discontented and turmoil? And follow that back. Follow the line straight back to perhaps the thing that you're uh, just trying to consume rather than to serve. Um, there's so much here, and this is why I'm going to take the next, next week to, to dig much deeper into this. But, but here's where we're going here. I guess this. Are you overscheduled, overstretched in life? Check your investments. Are you, do you have overriding disappointment in life? Are you seeing life as just a product? What do you want to be the greatest at? These are good questions we all have to ask. And this gets much deeper. And, and again, I'm going to pack the, unpack this over the course of weeks here for us. Do you have an overriding dissatisfaction in fracturing in your relationships? Are you having a forgiveness issue? Forget forgiveness is, works completely against consumerism. Because if a relationship disappoints you, consumerism teaches us just to move on to another product. It goes much deeper than this. Are you ready to discard God? Is God a product? Consumerism teaches you if God fails you, if God lets you down, you just move on to another product. Again, this is, this, these, are, these are like, I think the, the, prob, the reason why I'm struggling here, I'm struggling a little bit with this, is because it is like going into someone's life and going, where are the, how do we get these thorns off you? It's like, how do we, where's that thorn and how's it coming through here and this way and that? It's not easy, it's not straightforward. But the point is this, um, being, being choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life are not Jesus' desire for his disciples. Jesus doesn't want that for them. Um, rather than getting in, having a posture of just always needing to get, he's saying, be self-sacrificial. And rather than ruling, be a servant. And rather than lording over people, be a servant of them. Uh, rather than breaking the people, the, the rulers lord it over them. Rather than breaking people, be a healer. Rather than constantly taking, be a giver. And we'll go into this much more next week. Um, but here's the question. I've got these maxims here that are really good, but I'll go over them next time. The question, the last question is, who do we want to be? 
I don't think that any of us really just want to be a people who are comfortable with our lives. We're here in this room because we want to be disciples. We want to make a difference in this world with a clear sense of direction. Um, we want to be people who have resilience inside of us that can face the pain of the world and the pain of other people with, with hope. Uh, and Jesus, Jesus teaches us, and I think we want to be people, we all want to be people who are so self-contented, contented with what this life is giving us. Um, not just the endless pursuit of desires like consumerism teaches us. Uh, and it's so hard when, when, life, when life happens to us, when life, um, when life disappoints us, when life lets us down, when life drags us through the mud, it's so difficult, so, so difficult to remember some of these hard teachings of Jesus because of the culture we live in, because of how hard it is just in general with human nature to work against our selfish desires. But what, what, what would it look like in your life? What, what would, if, if you woke up nine months, nine, nine weeks from now on Easter and you, and you found yourself just a little less choked by the cares, riches, and pleasures of this life, what, what do you think your life would look like if your contentment level could grow just incrementally in nine weeks? What would that look like for you? What would, uh, what would your life look like? What would be uh, true about you that isn't true now? And in what way would you be more able to join Jesus in his mission to push back against the evils of this world? I don't know. I think about that question. I can get excited about that going, you know, there are some, there are some thorns right now that are, that are piercing me that I just need to shed. Because as we remember in the parable, where he wants us to become is he wants us to become good soil with, with good hearts that can endure through the hard places of life, with patience and endurance, bear fruit, which uh, is born a hundredfold. That's what, that's what I think we all want to be. So we'll continue d dig digging into this in the next coming weeks. But for today, here's, here's the invitation. Uh, I don't think any of this teaching about Jesus is meant to make us walk away to feel shamed. None of it is meant for us to walk away feeling like we just haven't measured up. What it's meant to do is to look, to, to shine a spotlight. Jesus' teaching is meant to shine a spotlight on those places that he wants to heal, that he wants to free you uh, for. So perhaps maybe the invitation today as you come up and take a piece of bread and, and dip it in the, in the juice, symbolizing his own willingness to be self-sacrificial and to take his desires and submit them to God. Maybe the invitation is, is this. How have you been choking and suffering in this life? And perhaps have you located it yet? What, what are the things that are choking you? The cares, the riches, and the pleasures. And, and maybe today you just have one little piece of something to give up to God. Or maybe you don't know. Maybe you're like, you know what, I hear him talking about that stuff and kind of makes sense, but I'm not sure exactly how that hits me. Maybe it's a question you bring to God today. God, um, am I choking in any way that I don't know? Um, teach me, show me this week what this is about. So uh, as we dig deeper into this, friends, my invitation to you is to draw close to the great physician, the great healer, the one who can free you and free us all from everything that would entangle us, all the sins that would entangle us. He can free you. 
uh, and do it in a way in, in recognizing that, um, that his deep love for you is shown in him giving himself up for us all. Uh, the last part of the verse here, and I'll, I'll get into it next week, I didn't put up there, is this. Jesus says, the Son of Man, oh, I guess I did put it up there. The Son of Man, Jesus, came not to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many. That's us. So come to the table, friends. The table is set, and everyone here is welcome. Mm-hmm.